have that perspective. I want to do a couple of housekeeping things here, and then we're going to look at Zechariah 4, and we're going to talk about not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It is an amazing chapter, and I've actually not spent a lot of time, and I got lost in it the past few days at Zechariah 4. If you want to go ahead and grab your Bible or look it up on your phone, we're going to walk through that. There's some jewels in there, some gems that we're going to be digging into, but an update regarding next week. Um, As you know, we emailed everyone at our Lord's on Thursday in response to Governor Stitt's recover and reopen announcement, which you've seen. You've got the link to it. Many of you have read it. If you haven't, you should open up and recover safely a three-phase approach to open Oklahoma's economy. And in it, there's all kinds of information for businesses and churches. So we sent that out. But I want you to know there's new information coming out each day. So Wallace and I were on the phone yesterday. We've both been listening to the governor and the mayor. And so you just need to be assured that we're processing that information as it comes out. All right. And if you want it all neat and tidy and uh, ready to go. It's just not working that way. (laughs) So we're just having to follow the bits of information as they come out, and we'll continue to follow that. So in short, I want you to hear clearly that we're going to develop and implement plans informed by the government, by the guidelines, the mayor, the governor, others, thoughtfully and with care for our vulnerable. All right, so that's the bottom line. And will we meet next week? Well, we'll know. We'll know in the next few days. So if you can just be patient and continue to pray, pray for us and give us discernment. Um, We're going to also lean into wisdom and caution. We're not going to be controlled by fear nor by judgment of other people. So the enemy wants to get us pitted against each other. We are kingdom people. So what I want to encourage us to do is lift our heads up above this, above the political voices, Above these things, the enemy wants to divide us in any way possible. And so we are kingdom people first and foremost. We we don't fear anything. We don't fear death. We don't fear sickness. So we do use wisdom and we use the reason that God's given us. And so I just want you to hear bottom line. We're going to be sharing information over the next few days about how we're going to proceed. Sound good? All right. Other plans rolling out. Um, Over the summer, we are talking about, Connie and our groups team, we're talking about how do we do groups over the summer in a time like this? And so there'll be more information coming out about that. I will say this, this virus is almost pressing us in new ways to mobilize and to organize and to decentralize in ways. We've been saying over and over again, we're the Lord's army, an army of love, and the Lord is determined to mobilize us, and he will use anything to do that, including something like this. So we're gonna come through the other side of this, more mobilized, more equipped. Uh, Preaching series, you know, we hit pause on our uh, spiritual practices series. We may come back to that. We're just going to, we're going to wait and see. But in the meantime, we're picking passages that lift our attention up to the enthroned Lord and that give us perspective. So on that note, 
Look at uh, Zechariah 4. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. It's part of the 12 minor prophets. And they're called minor prophets because they're writing smaller books in comparison to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. So we're going to look at this minor prophet. What we're going to do, we're going to take these 14 verses and I want to pull out three rich phrases that are found in this often overlooked chapter. And they are powerful verses that bring encouragement and perspective in a season like this, in any season for that matter. But there's three words from the Lord tucked in here like diamonds. So we're going to look at those three in Zechariah 4. So hopefully you found that there. It may be the first time that you've actually looked at Zechariah in a broader extent. I know uh, Esther referenced Zechariah 9 in our Palm Sunday message, but we're going to dig into this one chapter. I want to give a little bit of historical context because we're dropping in to this minor prophet here, and it helps to just kind of get a lay of the land a little bit. Now, who is this? What are we looking at? And so I'll give you some background. Zechariah, his name means Yahweh remembers. And Zechariah, he was a younger prophet, and he was actually born in Babylon. So when uh, the Israelites were exiled and, and taken in the 6th century to live in Babylon, and they were being disciplined by the Lord, Zechariah was born there. And he was raised as a prophet and a priest, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And he actually returned to Jerusalem with about 50,000 other Israelites exiles from Babylon. And he was a contemporary of some of the other prophets, Haggai, um, another minor prophet. And what was happening during Zechariah's day was Cyrus the Great, a Persian emperor, had conquered Babylon and he said the Jews can actually go back to their homeland. So God was providentially paving the way for Zechariah and other Jews to go back to their homeland. So it was actually a great time of celebration and returning to the land that had been promised to them and to Abraham and Sarah. So Zechariah is in this context, and what had happened was these Jews had gone back to Jerusalem, and they started to rebuild the temple around 536 BC. So this is 536 years roughly before Christ. And they started this temple project. Bear with me, because I know some of this may just seem like historical data that's not very interesting, but it actually is. It paints a picture, and we'll see Zechariah right in the midst of it. They started building, and they stalled. They ran out of inner resource, and people were resisting, and so the people were deflated. And so Zechariah emerges in this context as a young prophetic voice, and he begins to prophesy and to encourage the people to continue to build the Lord's temple as a statement that the Lord is here. He has promised us this land. So let's look at chapter 4 in this series of visions. This is the fifth of eight visions in his book. And it's important to see, like all of the prophetic words in the Old Testament, it has telescopic fulfillment. So it meant something for them at that moment, but then it telescopes out into time and is usually 
it, it leads to multiple fulfillments. And so Zechariah is prophesying some things that mean something for the people right then and right there. But then tucked within the prophetic word is all kind of multiple layers of meaning that will have an ultimate fulfillment. So he's prophesying to them and then it has messianic fulfillment. The Messiah will come and fulfill it in new ways. And then even beyond the Messiah, the Messiah is going to do something even beyond his first coming. So with that in mind, let's look at Zechariah 4, 1 to 14. And again, we're going to look at three things. And many of you have heard some of these verses, but we're going to look at it in its broader context. It is rich stuff. So Zechariah 4, 1 to 14. And I want to say this, there's, like most of the prophets, there's strange symbols here. There's olive trees and candlesticks and eyes and the key is to not get lost in all the details. The point of the passage is that the Lord is going to give power to his people to rebuild the temple. That's the point. So if we get lost in all that, now what is this? We'll explain a little bit of that, but we want to make sure that we're getting the main thrust of the passage. And there's angels talking and all kinds of things. I think it's pretty cool. So Zechariah 4, 1 to 14, I'm going to read the whole thing. Why don't we do this? If you're cool with this, why don't we stand, okay? The five of us that are here. And then at your house, if you're cool with it, if you can stand, let's read the word of God. The ancient Jews did this, and I think it just kind of brings some variety, change it up a little bit. This is the word of God. Zechariah 4, the angel who talked with me came again and wakened me as one is wakened from sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I, Zechariah, said, I see a lampstand, all of gold with a bowl on top of it. There are seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And by it, there are two olive trees, one on the right of the bowl and one on its left. I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. He said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. He's the governor that we're going to learn more about. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain and he shall bring out the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. At verse 8, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. So it's another vision. That's the first one. This is another one. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven eyes are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. And then now a third and final vision or prophetic word and oracle. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? He's going to give an interpretation. And a second time I said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which pour out the oil through the golden pipes? He said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So you can take a seat. 
And let's look at this. Again, there are three things. The first phrase here that I want us to look at is found in verse 6, at the end of verse 6. And so the first thing we're looking at here that's tucked in this passage about rebuilding the temple is that it's done by the Lord's Spirit. By my Spirit. So this passage here is going to show us that all fruitful work is done by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. And so what's happening here, again, without getting lost in all of the details, it's essentially this young prophet, Zechariah, and he's having a series of visions. And like Daniel, some of them come to him in the night. So at verse 1, he's being roused, and the Lord is speaking to him via an angel, and he calls the angel my Lord. It's just a, a term of respect here. And so he's having this interaction And the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah at verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Let's say Zerubbabel together. Zerubbabel. All right, for you kids at home, if you can say Zerubbabel, you get an Oreo, right, later. Sorry, parents. You can get a treat later. Zerubbabel. So he's the governor that Zechariah is coming to. And speaking the word of the Lord. And what does he say at verse 6? In this rebuilding project that had stalled, the Lord is saying, Zerubbabel, governor, overseeing this project, I am giving you a promise right here. Let's look at it. We say this. This is a very common verse, but sometimes we don't really parse it and explain the meaning. So it's not by might nor by power. What do these words mean? Might in the Old Testament means many things. It means wealth, so literal money and cash. It also means, in Deuteronomy 11, an army. So you can use might as a synonymous term for you have military might. Um, And it's typically human might. It's human strength, not God's strength. Look at the second word here, and then we're going to take a moment here to meditate on this shortly. The other one, it's not by might, nor by what? Power, nor by human power. This is something that God gives to people in the Old Testament. God gives you power, for example, to generate wealth, to bless others, to make people competent to do their tasks. But what is being said here, the word of the Lord is saying, this isn't to make you self-reliant. It's to make you competent to give you power, but don't become self-reliant. You are always depending on the power of the Lord. A verse, you can write this down, look at it later, but it's where these words are paired together. Listen to this. Psalm 33, 16 sheds a little bit of light on this. A king is not saved by his great army, his might. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength, his power. And so when the word of the Lord is saying this, my spirit, my ruach, the very breath, the life of God is what's going to empower you to rebuild the temple and to pave the way for my presence and my glory to come again to Jerusalem. Man, thinking about the spirit of the Lord in the scriptures, 
We see from the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, the Spirit of the Lord is hovering over the surface of the water. The Spirit of the Lord is the one who comes on Moses in Numbers 11. The Spirit of the Lord is the one who comes upon the elders that Moses raises up in Numbers 27. The Spirit of the Lord is the one who comes upon Joshua to empower him to lead the people into the promised land. We could go on and on. It's the Spirit of the Lord that comes upon the good kings of Israel like David. The Spirit of the Lord, Isaiah prophesies, will be the one who comes upon the Messiah in Isaiah 11. And so this speaks of the empowerment of God's people for the tasks that God's calling them to. This is a rich quote here from one of the commentators that I spent some time with this week, a guy named Mark Boda, who had written this about this very verse here. And listen to what he says. Zechariah 4.6 speaks of the importance of God's empowerment for someone like Zerubbabel in the activity of constructing this temple. And it's a reminder of the need for God's spirit to empower him for the task. Catch this though. This is an interesting thing that's often overlooked. Mike and I were talking about this a few minutes ago. It also suggests a further nuance or detail that Yahweh's spirit is offered through the prophetic word. Thus, there is a power from God that is available through the prophetic spirit. And this power is being offered to Zerubbabel. So think about that for a moment. I know it's Sunday morning. What are we in week five of this strange time? But what this text is showing us is that this prophetic word of power is promised. It's not by human might not by human strength, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that very act of prophesying, something happens. And so Zerubbabel has to receive that and hear it and incorporate it. There is something mysterious about when God speaks to and through his people. I can't explain it. After over 30 years of watching it happen, I cannot wrap my mind around it. God chooses to speak to and through human people, and it sets something in motion. If it is a true, genuine prophecy, it sets something in motion and begins to empower people. Think about this. I want to give a couple of examples and then give you some time to meditate on this rich phrase here. We looked a few weeks ago at the Jesus people movement. And if you remember, Chuck Smith and his wife Kay were part of this, the Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. And I mentioned that Kay Smith, Chuck Smith's wife, had a prophecy one night. Some of you may remember that. And there were about 15 or 20 young people at their church. The spirit of prophecy comes upon Kay Smith and she sees a vision of a wave, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit hitting the West Coast. And she turns to those young people in the church that night and says, the Lord says that you are going to be a part of a revival. A wave of his spirit is about to hit the West Coast. It's going to catch you up and many other young people, and it's going to spread across the country and spread across the world. This is the way prophecy works. And was that a true word? 
Yes, you better believe it. So in the late 60s and into the 70s, the Spirit of the Lord did exactly what that prophetic word forecasted. The Spirit of God came upon a bunch of ragtag hippies and turned them into Jesus people, and the Lord used them to bring a spiritual awakening that went across the country and across the world. The Lord forecasts these things through the prophetic word. We're experiencing that here at our Lord's right now. We have been. This church has had that for many years. But particularly now, we, as we gather in prayer, in homes, as a leadership team, other groups, as we gather, the Lord is speaking and forecasting what he wants to do. And if we will open ourselves up to that and say, Lord, we believe that you speak, you speak through the scriptures and you speak through your spirit, he's going to begin to tell us what's coming. And we've experienced this. Mike and I, months ago, were in my office and the Spirit of God came upon Mike. And before we knew it, Mike was praying and prophesying about a church plant in Guam. It happened in a moment, didn't it? In a moment, in an instant, it set something in motion and an anointing began to come over him and Jennifer when they talked And then we get to watch, Lord, how will this unfold? Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit, churches will be planted. By your spirit, people will be saved that we don't even know or see yet. By your spirit, our Lord's community church will be like an Antioch church, and we will train and send people out all over the world. We're believing that. And so we are going to pray and prophesy into that based on passages like this. The text goes on to talk about, if you see here, not by might, not by power, and then part of the prophetic word is encouraging Zerubbabel, this leader, to look at mountains around him. What are the mountains? We don't know for sure, but it's probably at least a couple of things. It's probably human opposition. As Zerubbabel says, I'm going to rebuild the temple, there are probably even some some Jews that are saying, I don't think we can do this. I don't think it's possible. We don't have the resources that are needed. And so the word of the Lord is saying to him, yes, The Lord will remove those mountains of opposition. Another thing that it could mean is that Zerubbabel and the people are looking at the rubble of the former temple that appears to be a mountain of ruin, a reminder that it was destroyed by God's enemies. And so the word of the Lord is saying, I'm going to turn that into a highway, an open plain, and the Lord will come flowing into this place again. So very, very rich. Let's look at this, and then I'm going to give you time to meditate. And when we look at the other two passages, it's much briefer. This is really the, the heart of the whole text here. It goes on to say at verse 7, after, what are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. Look at what else it says. This is actually a really amazing word picture. And he, Zerubbabel, will bring out the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. What in the world is this? 
Well, I did some, some reading and research to find out what exactly is going on here. And it was rich. I already mentioned that there was a destroyed temple, right? There's a destroyed temple there in Jerusalem. And so what the word of the Lord is saying is that Zerubbabel and his people are going to go and take a stone from the rubble and lift it out. It was kind of a rescue plan. And to incorporate it into the foundation of the new temple. And as they did that, they rescued this rock and they brought it in and said, this is going to actually be part of the new foundation stone. They were shouting, grace, grace, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the favor of God. So they were enacting something that was very symbolic here. I want to ask you today, are you carrying any rubble? What stones can you lift up and say, my life has a lot of rubble. (laughs) I've been wrecked at different times. What stone can you take out of that and say, the grace of God is restoring me. The grace of God is rebuilding my life. That is what the Lord is doing here 500 years before Christ, and it's what he continues to do. He rebuilds us. He rebuilds churches. He rebuilds people by his grace. And we get to participate in that. He is the great builder and he is the great rebuilder of people. So why don't you take a a minute here and look at these first seven verses. And I would encourage you to focus really on verses six and seven. And let's take a minute or so to pull out something that you can pray. And the whole point of that, as we talk about here a lot, is to pray scripture. We don't just read it. We don't just open a commentary. We don't get online and do work. The point, first and foremost, is to pray scripture, to pray it back to God. And something happens in us. Faith rises, our minds renewed. So you find something out of verses six and seven that you, whether it's you and the Lord or you and your family or a group of people and pray some of verses six and seven back to the Lord and we'll come back here in a minute for the other points.
wonderful. I can hear the few people in here praying. It's rich. Sorry to take you away from it, but let's continue. I was sitting here praying, Lord, we do all things by your spirit. Lord, we do all things by your spirit. You can carry that with you this week. Lord, I do all things by your spirit. Holy Spirit, you're a person. I want a fellowship with you. Holy Spirit, you indwell me. You make me holy. I do all things. So that's the point of this. Really, that's the, the point of why we look into the scriptures. is So that we can carry this with us during the week. We can meditate and commune with the Lord through his words. A second thing I want us to look at quickly here before we transition. Mike has some things in his heart. Do some ministry time. Verses 8 and 10. This other phrase found at verse 10, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. So this passage is telling us that small beginnings lead to kingdom-sized results. Why does the Lord work this way? I don't know. You can ask him. But he loves to take small things and begin things in seemingly insignificant ways. And so the word of the Lord that's coming again through Zechariah to Zerubbabel is saying, those who have despised this day of small beginnings are going to see God work. And it's kind of cryptic here. It says that they'll see the plummet hand the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. The point of that is that what is being said is it seems insignificant now, but the day is coming when you will see him walking out with something like a measuring rod, laying the final stones of the temple. So what looks now like a pile of rubble with one stone that's being rescued from it, laid as a foundation, you actually will see the final stones laid. And it will be measured at the beginning, it will be measured at the end, and this will be a testimony. And you should embrace the day of small things. In, embrace the day of small beginnings. I was reading this week, and one commentator said this. This is really interesting. Bible history is the record of God using small things. The scriptures are a record of God using small things. Just think about it for a minute here. The scriptures, from the beginning, in the book of Exodus, we see that God chooses a tiny group of slaves to deliver from the world's superpower, Egypt. And he said, these are my people. It's the day of small things. It's the day of small, tiny, overlooked, marginalized slave people. And I'm going to use them to bless the nations of the earth. Wow. The Messiah, Jesus, loved to teach about these things. In Matthew 13, he talks about the kingdom of God and small beginnings and small things over and over again. That's what those word pictures are about. The leaven that's worked into the whole lump of dough, the mustard seeds that are planted in the garden of the earth and spring up and fill 
the whole earth with the kingdom of God. God loves small beginnings and small things that seem insignificant to everyone else. Think about this. Jesus says in John 12, I am the seed that's planted into the earth. And when I'm planted into the earth, I will bring a harvest, a worldwide harvest, out of this tiny, small beginning. And this principle, this is a kingdom principle. It's a spiritual principle. It's a principle we can see operating in churches. But it's also a principle, I want you to think about this for business. For you business people out there, embrace the day of small things. You may have a vision inside of you. You may only have a few bucks. But if it's a good idea and you are looking to the great business person of all, the Lord can use that little idea. It can be a day of small beginnings that can actually touch and enrich many people. So let's, uh, actually, I think what I want to do here I'm going to skip the the third one here so we can move into ministry time. But I want to give you a minute to embrace and believe in the Lord during small things. So just take a minute to do that. Pray that verse. And then I'm going to skip the third one and pass it off to, to Mike. So I've got written down here, Lord, we embrace and believe in you in the day of small things. Lord, we embrace small things. So take a moment and pray there. I was just thinking that, think about it, Steve Jobs had a day of small things. He had an idea, and that idea transpired, and now it's in the hands of, what, 3.5 billion people on the planet? So the day of small things. The last point here, you can look at it later, but verses 11 through 14 talk about being anointed and with the Lord. And so tucked in there is the truth for the church, for God's people, that he anoints us and he makes us channels through which the anointing flows into the lives of other people. And the whole point of it is so that we can stand beside him, the Lord of the whole earth. And he can bring his anointing and his life-changing power and his gospel to the ends of the earth, as Matthew 24 says. So Lord, I just pray, I'm gonna pass the the mic here, but I pray for us, our Lords, that, that we would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would embrace the day of small things, the day of small beginnings, even for us here, Lord, in this strategic time. And I pray for fresh anointing on us, that we would realize that we are standing with the Lord of the whole earth. Mike.